Namaste. So today we come to the concluding part of the series on Essays on the Gita. In the first talk we have already given a background and introduction to the book itself. To conclude and summarize, the Gita is not a simple thing. People have tried to do it over WhatsApp, over all kinds of oversimplified versions. They have turned it into a scripture which prescribes doing your duties without bothering about the results. If the Gita were to say that, it would be really a redundant scripture. I mean, that is something which anyways, any good human beings knows that he has to do his duty. As for result, we all know that results are not in our hands. So it would be the most logical thing to do. But certainly the Gita is much more than that. To read these kind of meanings in the Gita, also what really is duty? Is duty something which has been given to us by society, which itself is a struggling ignorance in terms of the collectivity? Is duty which something I have chosen as my vocation or my profession? So duty, if at all we have to use the word in the Gita sense, is the kartavyam karma, the thing to be done. And the script of that is written in the heart of every creature as is Swabhava and Swadharma. That is, if at all we want to say, that which we are meant to do, that which our soul has sought to do. And if we really look at from this standpoint, then much of our so-called sense of duty, etc. will look like, which, which is in fact a struggle and labor in the ignorance. So Gita is not enjoining all these things which are often you know, which, which come uh, in the form of simplification of Gita. Also, it is not a book for metaphysical debates. If you look at the number of uh, uh, things that people have derived from the Gita, the differences of commentaries. So one can derive from Gita, uh, pick up one side of the Gita and make it as the whole. For instance, traditionally people understand that the Gita is uh, Karma Yoga. And it is even more simplified. I met somebody who told me, I am doing karma yoga because I am doing my duty very well. I said, that's wonderful, commending yourself that you are doing your duty very well. <laughs> and that's karma yoga. This is news to me and 18 chapters of the Gita ultimately to tell us that do your duty well. So uh, we can pick up Gita, one aspect and highlight it, which is okay, human all of us tend to do that. But the Gita, from the strict, from the point of view of understanding it as a script, spiritual scripture, is the Trimarg. It's the triple path. The path of knowledge, the path of will and the path of devotion intertwined together. The advantage of this is that it, it's something which touches almost all the parts of our being, minus the body. But otherwise, and body is of course, because it's the Aadhar, it's the instrument through which we act. But otherwise, say in Jnana Yoga, we take up the thinking mind and take it further and further, the discerning intellect. In Shuddha Bhakti Yoga, we pick up the heart of emotions. In only so-called practice of the way Karma Yoga is understood, we take up the karma, the will. But here we have all the three intertwined together. And it forms a very beautiful sequence. 
सो गीता डज नॉट एडवोकेट एज इज कॉमनली अंडरस्टूड एज शुरविंद सेज फिलेंथ्रॉपी ह्यूमैनिटेरियनिज्म ऑल दिस इज नथिंग टू डू विद द सर्विस ऑफ द डिवाइन इन मैन एल्ट्रूइजम ऑल दीज आर थिंग्स प्ले ऑफ द ईगो एंड दे हैव देर प्लेस इट्स नॉट लाइक पीपल हैव टू स्टॉप डूइंग वॉट दे आर डूइंग एंड एंड अप डूइंग नथिंग सो इट इज बेटर दैन यू नो डूइंग नथिंग यू नो दैट स्टोरी अबाउट डूइंग नथिंग ऑफ द जिन हु वॉज caught and um, he wanted all the time to do something and then uh, one day the master had nothing to give and he said now i am going to eat you up so the master goes to a mahatma and the mahatma says very simple solution put a, a big bamboo ask him to get a very big bamboo put it in the soil and tell him to go up and down up and down all the time so this is what is called as doing in our parlance so <laughs> the gita teaches us first of all that draw from this surface life which is a life of ego and desire as long as we are caught up in the surface life and carried this way that way through every current which comes from 101 directions we cannot um, you know we cannot really talk about yoga we'll, we can of course read the book and do parayana people do it shubhendra says that that's not how gita is to be approached it's not about Um, remembering every shloka of the gita the gita is a book of spiritual living it has to be lived and the first step to this spiritual living is as uh, shri krishna teaches arjuna is to learn to separate the purusha from the surface movements of nature and to do that the discerning intellect the buddhi of man which is right now engaged only with outward events circumstances or is looking downwards preoccupied with the share market preoccupied with outer life preoccupied with all the things meant for the comfort of the body and life it has to withdraw itself from that and turn inward and upward as a tortoise draws its limbs into its shell so what happens when we do it then the buddhi has a chance of receiving the light the light of knowledge so knowledge has to be acquired this is the first base and that's when at that juncture arjuna gets confused that you are talking about karma that participate in the war and now you are saying that gyana is better so why are you saying this and then the first principle of gita comes that karma without gyana doesn't have a base and this gyana is not about intellectual knowledge in fact the intellect by turning inward and upward goes into that state what is called as the akshara bhav in the there is a stable ground on which we can act so right now just like the ishwara himself expresses in three states simultaneously the sharobhav all this entire creation every mutable be aspect which that we see in creation every mutable object mutable in the sense it is born and it dies within it there is the imperishable divine who is inhabiting it नित्यो नित्यानाम चेतनश्चेतनानाम एको बहुनाम यो विधदाति कामान एंड देन बिहाइंड दिस म्यूटेबल वर्ल्ड दे इज द इम्यूटेबल सो दे इज द शर भाव एंड दे इज द अक्षर भाव अक्षर ब्रह्म एंड बियॉन्ड द टू देर इज द ईश्वरा द पुरुषोत्तमा सो द सोल ऑफ मैन कैन ऑल्सो डेल इन ऑल दीज थ्री स्टेट्स ऑर्डनरली वी आर कॉट इन दिस शर भाव ऑल द टाइम वी आर एंगेज विद द म्यूटेबल वर्ल्ड फ्रॉम मोमेंट टू मोमेंट फ्रॉम मॉर्निंग टू आफ्टरनून एंड नाइट एंड मॉर्निंग मुल्ला की दौड़ मस्जिद तक हमारी दिन से रात और रात से दिन तक दैट्स वाइट इज कॉल्ड दिनचर्या 
That's what people are engaged in. Most of us live life like that. So this um, obviously must shift this kind of a life where we are mechanically doing things. We must become conscious. So the first step is to withdraw from that and turn it from this mutable becomings in which the soul is engaged, almost hypnotized. We have to suddenly turn it, we have to turn it upward and inward to enter into that immutable state. The soul can enjoy this vast impersonality and this is what is the first liberation that the Gita teaches us. The liberation from being caught on the surface to a deeper inner living and an upward living. And when we touch this vast impersonality, so Arjuna naturally asks, so how is it somebody going to act? Because normally we act based on action and reaction. The senses receive and we act. So he says, how are we going to act? So Sri Krishna tells him, wait, the entire truth has not been revealed to you. So the truth is still greater. And he says that after the surrender to the self, after giving yourself to the self with a capital S, give it to me. So there is still greater truth. And that is the truth of Shar, Akshar and Purushottama. So then Sri Krishna reveals that there is all this world is a manifestation of the divine. So the purpose of our birth and our life and our actions is to participate joyously, collaborate in the manifestation of the divine for the sake of the Leela. So how do we participate for the sake of the Leela? We don't even know what the Leela is. So he says start step by step. Again, Sri Krishna gives a series of steps. So first is win the jnana, then the karma starts. How to get to that state where we understand what is the will of the divine within me? Often people ask this question. First thing is get rid of preferences, opinions, desires. So how do we get rid of the stronghold of desire? Start with the practice of nishkam karma. That's where nishkam karma steps in. That while you have a right to action, you do not claim a right to the fruit. Not with expectation, I'll get this, therefore we act. 99.999% of our actions is with an eye on the fruit. This is how desire impulses. Desire means I desire that. So I act so that I can get that. Now when the action is not impelled by what you are going to act, so one automatically breaks the bone of the Serpent of desire, which is all the time biting, pricking, chasing us, making us run here and there. So when that is gone, it itself brings a tremendous release in the system. Does it mean that we do now everything indifferently because there is no desire? So I should do things indifferently. I think I recounted this story of a man who was watching, you know, does it mean that if a thief is coming, I will not do anything because now I have no desire of getting a promotion <laughs> or anything, no name, fame, acclaim. No, it doesn't say that. Now you have to do action as a service to the master, to the Lord. Now when we do an action as a service to the Lord, the first step of that is to remember and offer it to the Lord. Maybe through a prayer, maybe through a quiet aspiration, it's shift in attitude that now this action is not for fulfilling or satisfying my desire, but it is meant as a service to the Lord. Whether the Lord intends us to do this action or not is a later aspect which comes in the Gita. But whatever I am doing, it may be from morning till night, from a simple act like brushing the teeth, taking a bath, dressing up, going to the office, cooking, 101 activities in which we are you know, engaged and then sleeping, 
to do it as service of the Lord. So remembrance. So Shri Krishna says, constantly remember me and fight the great battle of life. What is the big, um, what happens when we do that? Not advantage. Advantage is not a good word to be used. So Shri Krishna says, if you do that, then you don't have to worry about anything. By the very fact of remembering me, even if you were to leave your body at any point of time, you will be free. You will come to me. You won't have to. Now, leaving the body is an extreme condition. In all activities, I will be in you, with you. I will be in you and you will be in me. This um, remembering and offering and completing your work, this is a whole discipline. Once uh, Mani Ben was telling me, you know, this uh, marbling section, now she is no more. So she taught me a, something very interesting. She was 15, 16 and uh, she was given work in Golkund. And one day around 5 o'clock, she wanted to go for group. So she said, uh, I am going. She told her department head, Monadi, I am going. So she said, wait. Uh, yes, Monadi, did you complete that particular work? This one I will do tomorrow. I have almost done it. Just a little bit, I will do it tomorrow. And she said, what if mother comes just now? Then she thought over it. She said, yes, I must do it now. So this work which is done as a dedication to the divine actually is a much greater work, much better work even in terms of quality. Yoga karma shukoslam. Because after all, if I am doing it for myself, I can afford to you know, do it uh, with a little bit of um, lack of interest. If I am doing it for somebody, I would do it only that much which is going to impress the person. Like people do during inspections. They, mother says that story where you know things were shoved inside the cupboard and everything outside was clean and mother comes and opens that cupboard and everything comes, comes out. So this is how because, well, I, I do only that much which is going to be helpful to fulfill my desire. That's how people do, operate, operating system, ambition and desire. But if I am doing it for the divine, then just imagine for a doctor, that a doctor is engaged in practice, he meets people. If there is somebody with a fat purse, he will give more attention, more time. If somebody comes with, who cannot afford much, who is in one of those, you know, uh, insurance cards, so the doctor will say, okay, because he is not going to gain anything much from such a patient. But a doctor who is actually doing it as a seva of the divine. So here comes the idea of service to the divine. will do it knowing that, well, it is not one person, another person, but every person that walks in is coming from the divine. Divine has sent that person to me. It's a very humbling exercise. I am taking this example of Dr. Of course, at a point of time in Air Force, we had this system that you have to see only people who are in the military. So, but sometimes people know from the nearby places and they'll suddenly land up. So, what do you do? So, I used to see them and prescribe medicine. So, I was asked that, why are you seeing patients who are from outside? They have a logic behind it. They should not become private practice. So, is it, see, somebody comes, reached my door, I take it that he has come all the way impelled by the divine. So it's not a human being who is standing there. So they understood very clearly that yes, it is like that. 
and so sometimes i get bit um, also appalled when i see people no 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 you are not belonging to an organization or this i am not going to see you we should see everybody what we do prescription of medicine yes you can get outside but seeing is an act when you do it as a service of the divine you will do that because that person has reached your point that point and he has come he is the divine in disguise so this is one example with every action and i think i gave this example also when somebody came in the ashram uh, the lock was gone and uh, he made two keys even though the person didn't need so many examples like that when one actually understand the way the mother has trained people here it is something amazing and that's why i say that if synthesis of yoga and all these books sound difficult the life divine read the life of people who lived here dyuman bhai the way he lived the way he served the divine mother and it's so amazing that you know even when toward the end he had uh, apparently you know he was, he was he would bleed and the dhoti get uh, sullied with blood he would rush change it and get on to work and he had a ladder with him so when mother would call from there he would take the ladder put it must have seen you can climb directly and go to her room why to avoid save time mother has called going all the way is going to take time in every decision he would take he would only give consideration of what the mother may be wanting of me and people won't understand they would often ask him tell him that you know why are you uh why have you taken they would complain to shurbindu and the mother also sometime that you know he uh, not harsh but he just refuses he doesn't consider now it was because he would be he would act according to what the mother would expect and want of him that was his whole criteria not to please anybody so when we read these um, lives of these people who have gone before us it shows us in practice what really is dedicating one's work to the divine we have heard about arjuna we have heard about lakshman when we know about champaklal ji and how he would keep awake even uh, reduce his food so that he doesn't have to spend time in the toilet because he wants to serve shirvinda and the mother so this is the way one engages with yoga it's not an intellectual uh, you know metaphysical thing so people engage in metaphysical debates and discussion it's their problem but after the whole 2 hour session is over they say acha what is there in lunch and if it's not very good they say who made it you could have got a better caterer so the geeta and reminds us that to be really um, a useful instrument of the divine practice equanimity so one cannot practice truly speaking karma yoga so this is the third step one is nishkam karma remember and offer then practice equanimity and abundant opportunities are given the ashram has been a made a special formation where you have to keep practicing equanimity it's never enough from the weather to the people and best part is you know because you can okay weather will change after some time <laughs> people won't change so after it's not like you are in private pride okay i am going to leave and i'll join another organization i don't like it here you have to change and people will make you change at some point you realize it's all here you have to change so it's so beautiful and the first change that we must bring in is in equal equanimity so equanimity is not a blurring of distinction very clearly should the equanimity doesn't mean i'll mix khichdi and rasgulla and take it it's a sign of being a great yogi no 
That is called blindness. Equanimity is not a fresh blindness. We are anyways living like blind people, but this is not a fresh blindness. Equanimity means we discern, we know. We know what is what. Look at Mother and Shurabindo. They would give time to people, but people thought, oh, they are giving so much time. He must be a great sadhak. And Shurabindo would say, don't go by that. There is a particular individual with whom the mother spent a lot of time. And later on she said, he was an asura who came. She was not, because she saw that, she was not rushing on, oh, no, no, I don't want to see you. You discern, you know, and yet you act. So equanimity has two sides. One is the passive side, where we take all the shocks of the world and don't react to it. And then a new knowledge begins to dawn, and in that knowledge we see things more correctly. And even practically, one of the most practically useful things ever in life is equanimity. Otherwise, we are all the time misjudging, we are all the time... Uh, suffering so much because we cannot discern but equanimity gives us that calm vision even a human vision because it takes away all that uh, coloring by emotions coloring by all all kinds of desires and then when we look at things calmly we can see better even leaving aside the higher knowledge when it comes of course the, it's it's an intuition which shows us but even before that so the third important practice is equanimity the Gita, Shurabindo emphasize on it very much because it's a yoga which deals with life, world and action. Jnana Yoga and Bhakti Yoga, Raj Yoga, other forms of yoga need not engage with equanimity. Because they enter within, they find the divine as far as the world is concerned, they have nothing to do with the world. So it's okay. Your nature is a field of all kinds of things. You are inwardly free. But in Karma Yoga and Shurabindu's Yoga, equanimity is a very basic practice, fundamental practice. So then of course, uh, what next when we enter into that equanimity? Then we have to go that to that next step, next step. And that's where a little more difficult, not only have to leave the fruit of action, we have to leave also the action in the hands of the Supreme. There is a very beautiful word, term, in the Gita called Sarva Sankalpa Sanyasi. You don't initiate, but action develops within you. And it's so interesting that when we pass through this phase, it becomes impossible to do something only for your own sake. That action will be very different. So you wait for the right inspiration, you wait for that whole thing to grow within. That divine will can come in number of ways. But one acts under the impulsion of the divine more and more. Initially, there would be a mixture. There would be very often because in human action, there is invariably karma gahanogati. There is a deeper influx and there is the mixture which is outside. But if we persist in the practice, then slowly the outer mixture begins to get sieved out. And more and more, the divine begins to will in us. Until then, we have to act on the basis of Swadharma. And that the Gita explains very beautifully. That Swadharma is that which flows from our soul. The entire determinism of nature is something which emerges from the soul. He reverses the whole, um, our normal understanding is, and that's what we find ourselves. We are caught in the determinisms of nature. So what determines our action Normally, it is our state of in which condition we find ourselves.
isn't it? We are slaves. So when somebody says, come let's do this reading. That's why it's so good to make a fixed time and reach your window and the mother. Somebody says that, okay, this is the time fixed, let's say at 5.45, 6 o'clock, whenever one wants to read. And then nature comes in, says, it's very tiring. Now one thinks one has decided in freedom. No, it is tamas, mode of nature which has decided. We think I have made a free choice, but this is an illusion. So Sri Krishna reveals Yantra, Rohini, Maya, like a fly on the wheel. I think I have decided, but I didn't decide. The tamasic mode of nature decided in me. So that's how I decided. Or it is Rajas. See, if we read today, we'll have a gathering. After the reading, we'll have nice chai nasta. Actually, I've seen there was a center in which, you know, People would have this uh, Swadhyaya study for one hour, after which nice high tea was served. So yeah, I, I asked the person who used to organize it, it's such a nice atmosphere when we read and so beautiful. But you know, after that this high tea and people gossip and the whole thing dissipates. <laughs> so he, he, the explanation he gave me was so interesting. First time I understood things in a different light. He said, no, no, no. If you don't keep it, nobody will come only. <laughs> this way at least they come. I said, oh my God. <laughs> so what has driven us to the Lord? Rajas. I think I made my choice. No, I have not made my choice. Turning to God is by the way. The eye is on the chai, high tea, gossiping, meeting together, socialization. Rajas mode. But then the Gita says, instead of these two modes, first cultivate the sattvic mode. So sattvic mode will say, if I have to do this, at this point of time, I must do it. Sattva brings discipline and harmony. I don't feel like going, I am feeling, I shall leave it, but I will go. Why? Because the sattvic, it's still nature, but at least it is the higher current. So sattvic mode says, no, this is something which I have undertaken, I must do. It's for my good, according to the Shastra, the right time, the right place, everything that way, considering all this, the sattva nature will say, I will go. And then it will do that reading very beautifully. If it doesn't want to interact with people, it will quietly come away. Sattvic natures will do that. Because it wants to engage in the thing, right thing, at the right time, at the right place. So this is not a place for, you know... um, having nice pleasantries, there is a time for that. Sattvic people are like that. Sattvic people will say, yes, we'll have pleasantries, nice exchanges, but there is a different forum for that. You don't come out after the darshan and say, okay, let's have some golgapas. You don't do that. You enjoy golgapas, there is another moment when you go and have golgapas, sit with your choice of friend. Sattvic nature wants to do everything according to the Shastra. Shastra is not something which is written, but something which emerges as we grow in the Sattvic light. So Sri Krishna says, first cultivate the sattvic mode. And then he lists all the qualities, Devasuri Sampada. Basically, asuric mode of life is turned towards pure, selfish, egoistic ends. And Asura looks at life and creation as a means for his bhoga. And therefore he wants to devour everything. 
if we really look at this world the chaos and disorder people blame this because everybody almost everybody is living for their own selfish ends just imagine how much chaos and disorder all these selfishnesses i mean to imagine it is mind boggling and how the divine must be setting right all this chaos that we are doing see when mother you know 11 o'clock till 4 o'clock ashram gates are closed when mother was asked that you know what happens at night and then she revealed she said my child all of you come and clean that is later at night the gods come and they clear the atmosphere what is the atmosphere because people come and throw their desires countless desires so they have to come and clear the atmosphere now imagine when we live in a home filled with desires imagine we are living in a city filled with desire that's why she wanted a little space where human beings can come for a higher purpose at least the collective atmosphere so sattva teaches us moderation of desire sattva doesn't tell us that don't desire that's beyond but sattva says don't desire unjustly it should be according to dharma there are things there is a right place for entertainment engage with it even in synthesis of yoga shubindu says you want to listen to music listen to some nice music you want to relax there is a way to relax relax in the light so sattva teaches us it doesn't um, take away desire but it makes it so weak so malleable so plastic it almost tames the lion so after some time it's very easy to ride the lion so it teaches us to tame the lion <laughs> by sattva so shri krishna says that uh, enter into that mode of sattva more and more and then you climb beyond sattva in that state of trigunatit how so he says first to the self and then to me so slowly when we engage with actions sarva sankalp sanyasi when we want to fulfill god in us his will then slowly and slowly our nature begins to get tuned to the divine but still it is a long process so arjuna says that all this you are describing is wonderful i don't know whether i can do all this or not what happens to those who cannot do it so he says don't worry i have plenty of backup plans ultimately i am the one who is the master controller unseen sabahi na chavat ram gosai he says what will happen is If you have done yoga this much, salpa masya dharmasya. Try, no, try little bit, Arjuna. At the end, when you have really tried in your next life, you will recover the yoga very fast, and take off point will be from where you have left. Nobody assures us that if you have done practice this next life, you will be born in a super rich family. Certainly not. I am not going to say born in America because that may be a curse rather than a blessing. But <laughs> you know. you will be born in a family where you will recover the yoga fast it doesn't matter rest of the things and i'll take you very fast to the yoga so this effort is not lost first he reassures him and then he says yes it happens even the sages their mind can be carried away by the storm of passions by anger by fear passions they can carry the mind away so then lord what is the safety and security and then the bhakti yoga steps in hold on to me because arjuna says this path 
What about those tapasvis? He says, yes, they also ultimately come to me, but there's a long, difficult path. I am telling you the simpler, shorter, swifter, and he says, delightful path. It's not that it is the only shorter path. And he adds more complete path because they realize the divine only in a limited way through the path of tapasya. But when you surrender to me, then I'll take you my way. Not your way. What the tapasvi is trying, he is trying to cut short the passage by cutting the knot of karma. What the sannyasi is doing, the same thing, withdrawing from the field of action. So he is looking for a short path, but it is not a short path. Anybody who has tried to practice sannyasa, sannyas, knows it. You see, there are sannyasis who is so easy to wear a rocket robe and say, I am a sannyasi, change your name. But it's so difficult if you have not gone through this practice, if you are trying with your own effort, any time, you know, there is this famous movie in, I think, 60s, must watch Chandralekha, or Chitralekha. It was based on the novel by Bhagavati Charan Varma, you know. Sannyasi's life, he tries to seclude himself. But the moment a sannyasi comes back to life, it's like you keep a fast for one day in our home, Ram Naomi and Janamashtami, fasting day. Not for us, not children, parents. But our eye was on that special food which is going to come. And when the food came, everybody was so happy. This is so tasty, that is so nice. So sannyasi state is like that. Still there are some who will do it. Completely withdraw from. It's a path. They will close everything, shut themselves. So that's why Shrabindu says, if you want to do it, there is a possibility of sannyasa like that. But don't mix up things. That's why it's famous aphorism. God laughed thrice at Shankara. One when he wrote the commentary on the Isha Upanishad. <laughs> he tweaked it to fit into his idea of sannyasa. Even a word has been, you know, tweaked. To put it into the bracket of sannyasa. Other commentators did not even dare to touch it. Because you know, some even declared this is not an Upanishad. <laughs> because it's so strongly world affirming. Second, when he came for the last rites of his mother. If you are a sannyasi, you are a cut-off sannyasi. You can't be, you know. It's fine, nothing wrong with it. But look at the paradox. Human nature, it doesn't let you take sannyas. And third, of course, when he wrote about, you know, Maya is the ultimate reality. So, um, this sannyas is an extreme path. Some can do it, very rare people. But it is neither God's intention in creation. And second, at the end, what do we gain? A denuded soul. And when we go to him and say, Lord, I have come, escaping from the forest, he will say, well done. You will say, okay, one more lost case. Caught under the sattvic illusion. Why Lord, didn't I do something marvelous? No, my child. Why do you think I sent you into the forest? I don't know, nobody told me, everybody said it's an illusion. My child, I sent you to turn that forest into a living garden of God. I want to dwell there, I actually dwell there. 
But I want a nice house to be made there. And you ran away, your work half done. That's what in Savitri, when the Divine Mother, Savitri says, and says, what will your soul say when it discovers that you came away, leaving the deed half done? So we are here for you. There is a work to do. And therefore, Sri Krishna says, the more complete path, when we turn to God and engage in Siva, not just the traditional bhakti where we turn to God and again, I am very happy inside, I have found my God. The God we find within is the same God who dwells in creation in every element of it. How can I withdraw from this place where he is not only imminent but he is working there? Can I tell my master that, you know, I want to be happy with you, please keep me in your nice Golok, Vrindavan, you will say, okay. But you know, look at Arjuna, he is fighting the battle there, there also I am there. So what will we tell him? So he takes us through Kurushetra, Seva, the battle. We engage in that and that's what we see in, the, in Savitri toward the end. When the Godhead of the vision, wonderful, he tells her, come back now with Satyavan, you have done enough, you have done all this yoga. Uh, death has gone away for you. Come. And she says, No. Earth is the chosen place of mightiest souls. The forge where the arch mission shapes his works. So she says that I choose not heaven, but I choose this earth. Earth is the battlefield. That's where I choose. So when one loves the divine, how can love be without seva? This is a paradox. The people say, yes, I love you very nicely, everything. But you know what? I can't work. I can't do any service. Love brings that part very naturally. And what is God's service in the world? It is to manifest Him more and more. So the love that the Gita speaks about is not just a love which is inside I'll do bhajan, kirtan and be happy with God's company. It is the love where we have to see Ishwar Sarva Bhutanam. Love which translates itself into works Lok Sangraharth. To carry the march of civilization. Therefore it is a complete path. So Sri Krishna says it is a complete path. And then what you have to do? He says nothing. Think of me. Live in me. Live for me. And live by me. And if you move like that. Then one day you will have the grand vision of the integral divine. If you want to take the sannyas. Go away. I will not stop you. But I must tell you, you will miss something. What I will miss? You will miss not only my meaning and purpose in the world, but you will miss this wonderful Vishwarup, Vasudevam Sarvamiti Samhatma Chadurlabha. You won't see me in my totality, in my details, in every aspect. Jnan, Vigyan, Yoga, all my various manifestations. You will not see me in the people, in the Vasuki, in the in Rama and the great vibhutis and you will not be able to see me. You will come there and maybe you will merge in the impersonal. It's okay. It doesn't make a difference to me but it will make a difference to you because you have not arrived as the supreme felicity at the soul's supreme consummation. That's how Savitri we have that last or book 11 the soul's choice in the supreme consummation. That will be denied to you. So after all this rigmarole of entering into creation and climbing up, what have you done? You have left it as it is and come back 
to where you came. In fact, lower than where you came from. Because we came from the heart of God. And we have entered into Akshar and feel very happy. So Sri Krishna says, bids him to act after this grand vision. Tells him about the determinisms of nature. And then reveals a great truth. And it's the truth of Shraddha. He says, you know Arjuna, people think about their future, their destiny. They go through, he doesn't say in so many words. <laughs> they go to Soothsayer, they go to Pamis, they go to Tota, Parrot and Tarot. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> tarot is nice, huh? But anyways, any, all these things. Kapal Rekha, they go to people. <laughs> See, read my Kapal, read my hand. But what we, what is our destiny? It is the faith and will in our heart is our destiny. So beautifully in Savitri Shrabindu reveals, O king, thy vents that meet thee on the road, do they smite thy body and mind with joy and grief? Are not thy fate. They touch thee a while and pass. Even death can cut not short thy spirit's walk. The road, the goal thou choosest are thy fate. So Sri Krishna insists on faith. And then he describes the three kinds of faith. The tamasic faith, the rajasic faith, the sattvic faith. Even in turning to God, we have all these three faiths. The tamasic faith. Okay, yes, God is there, I know it. Every day I am going to temple, Baba. Tamasic faith, ignorant faith. If God one day seriously takes a chance, this fellow is coming along. <laughs> but he is not growing. Let me make him progress. <laughs> Shakes us and he will say, how cruel you are. Tamasic faith, ignorant faith. That's why it's called ignorant faith. He will take care of everything. That is for somebody who has given himself. And of course he takes care, but his taking care is sometimes a bit too much for the weak in soul to bear. Then there is the Rajasic faith. See, I am coming every day regularly and doing all the prescribed rituals. Please, you know, my list, every day I am slipping through the door. <laughs> Please take care of this, that. <laughs> what I am doing is half an hour. But I want you to take care of all my life in every detail. As mother says, some people even do meditation as if they are paying a debt to God. <laughs> we have done, huh? Half an hour. I have paid my debt. Your turn, please. <laughs> so, <laughs> Rajasik faith. What it brings? Pleasure and pain. Sukh and Dukh. Ignorant faith, tamasic faith, it makes us more and more deluded because we have never tried to understand what God is. We have just assumed. That's why in Gita we have these four categories of bhaktas. Arth, momentary connection with God. He doesn't mind, he acts. Artharthi, give me this, give me this, give me that, give me that. God is like your ATM card. Super ATM card. And then this is the lower categories of bhaktas. Then you have the two higher categories. And these are Jigyasu. I want to know you. How can we not want to know him who pours so much love? Who is he? You know, Who is hidden in the sky, in the blue? Who is in the green of the grass? Who is laughing in the sea? Sporting with life? Strikes in the spears? Who is in the blush of a girl? In the strength of a man? In the beauty of a woman? Who is hidden? Who ensnares us, charms us? With all these various forms and figures of this mighty universe. Jigyasu. But even greater than knower. Jnani. 
So he speaks about these four categories of bhakta. What kind of bhakti they do? Any which way, whatever you offer comes to me. Even the smallest of offering when it is done, with faith and sincerity, the divine accepts. But there are those rare ones who offer their entire life. Why? Because that is their shraddha. Sattvic shraddha is doing things according to the prescribed rituals. Every week or month we will do Satyanara and Swami Katha and everything. This is religious temperament. It's alright. But the greater shraddha is, I want to be one with him who is my origin, who resides in me. I want to know him, to become one with him, to be moved by him. Now, if that is the shraddha and will, regardless of the outer nature and all its discursions and excursions, this will realize itself. This is the great promise of the Lord. And therefore it reaches that grand culminating point. He says, I know, Arjuna, I have spoken all this. It's not easy. It's a difficult path. There is in man this deeper shraddha to become one with the divine. I'm, now he is addressing Arjuna's. Those who are really on that path. But there is also the outer nature with all kinds of tendencies, propensities to sin and evil, failure and fall. He says, yes, I know. But if you give yourself to me, man mana bhav mad bhakta madhyaji manamaskuru, turn to me, bow down to me, love me in all things, all beings, in every way. Abandon all dharmas, sarva dharman parityaja, maam ekam sharnamraja. Leave the astrologers, leave this Baba, that Baba, everything. Just give yourself completely to me. Then what will happen, sir? Aham tva sarva papipyo mokshishyami masucha. If you hand over yourself completely to me, it's my responsibility. And then it ends with such a wonderful statement. Wherever there is Krishna and wherever there is Arjuna, there there is victory. This is the final verdict Sanjay draws from that. It's not enough that just God is doing everything. It's a tamasic surrender. Krishna is there. Ultimately, he'll fulfill his will. But the delight of the soul, Arjuna, both must be there. Arjuna, the seeker. Arjuna, the lover. Arjuna, the karmyogi. Arjuna, the instrument. Arjuna, the vibhuti. Arjuna, who is dedicated and given to Krishna to do his work. And then, there is the stamp of Krishna, the Lord, the Divine. Wherever there is Krishna, wherever there is Arjuna, there there is victory. The divine and man coming together is the secret of creation. Not abandoning creation, man leaving himself and rushing into God, neither saying that God will do everything, I will do nothing. He will compel you to do what you have to do. Where there is the human effort, joining hands with the grace, there there is victory. And in the end we discover even the effort was nothing else but the divine grace. Because after all there is no other power but the divine power. So with this we will just read a, maybe a passage. It is only when the soul of man finds itself that he can overpass and erase from his consciousness the ignorance and the confusion of the gunas. It is true that even when you have found yourself and live in yourself, your nature will still continue on its old lines. 
and act for a time according to its inferior modes. That's why the Sarvadharman Paritcha Mame comes. It will continue. But now you can follow that action with a perfect self-knowledge. Is the difference between acting unconsciously and being driven like a fly on the wheel and being a conscious instrument. But now you can follow that action with a perfect self-knowledge and make of it a sacrifice to the master of your existence. This is what is Sarvadharman Paritrija. You are making your daily life a sacrifice, a prayer and a song, a hymn of adoration and a sacrifice. Follow then the law of your Sadharma. Do the action that is demanded by your Sabhava, whatever it may be. Reject all motive of egoism. This is what we have to remember. All initiation by self-will, all rule of desire. We choose action based on these preferences. Until you can make the complete surrender of all the ways of your being to the Supreme. That's when Sarvadharman comes into play. When we have slowly, slowly taken away ego, desire, self. And we have tried sincerely to walk the way. And when you are once able to do that sincerely, that will be the moment to renounce the initiation of your acts without exception into the hands of the Supreme Godhead within you, then you will be released from all laws of conduct, liberated from all dharmas. <clears throat> when we see the life of Arjuna, he did quite a few foolish things by human standards. But one thing he had done, given himself to Krishna. And all the time we see the Lord intervening in his life in ways which are indescribable. This story from the Bhagavat of Arjuna and Krishna is something so amazing. <coughs> the divine presence, the divine power and presence within you will free you from all sin and evil and lift you far above human standards of virtue. Now see what he is saying. He is not saying it doesn't matter, you will continue with sin and evil virtue and he will take care. No, he will free us. This tendency of nature, inferior mode, he will eventually free us from that. And he has his way to do it. For you will live and act in the absolute and spontaneous right and purity of the spiritual being and the immaculate force of the divine nature. The divine and not you will enact his own will and works through you. Not for your lower personal pleasure and desire, but for the world purpose and for your divine good and the manifest or secret good of all. How he will do, what way he will take us, only he knows. Inundated with light, you will see the form of the Godhead in the world and in the works of time, know his purpose and hear his command. Your nature will receive as an instrument his will only, whatever it may be, and do it without question, because they will come with each initiation of your acts from above and within you, an imperative knowledge and an illumined ascent to the divine wisdom and its significance. The battle will be his, his the victory, his the empire. So everything will come along with that, the knowledge 
and the wisdom that is operating, the far result that is going to be achieved through this passage. No shortcuts. This will be your perfection in the world and the body and beyond these worlds of temporal birth and supreme eternal superconsciousness will be yours and you will dwell forever in the highest status of the supreme spirit. The cycles of incarnation and the fear of mortality will not distress you. For here in life you will have accomplished the expression of the Godhead and your soul, even though it has descended into mind and body, will already be living in the vast eternity of the Spirit. This then is the supreme movement, the complete surrender of your whole self and nature, this abandonment of all dharmas to the Divine who is your highest self, this absolute aspiration of all your members to the supreme spiritual nature. See, but it has started also with surrender. When Arjuna says, I don't know the way, Shishya Steham Sadhima. So Shirobindo says surrender is the beginning, surrender is the middle and surrender is the culmination. First the decision to hand over our life or destiny to the divine, this is the core. Then the yoga journey starts when the divine says, okay, on board. <laughs> he takes us on board. Then we walk the path, then lot of things will come and you have to keep surrendering this, that, this, that, the entire mechanism of nature is being tuned, grated, perfected, hammered. <laughs> All things will happen. And then when there is a readiness, there comes a point when you say, okay, now entirely yours. And then he starts moving us, he starts initiating action in us and he starts carrying us through ways and means we cannot even imagine. If you can once achieve it, whether at the outset or much later on the way, then whatever you are or where in your outward nature, your way is sure and your perfection inevitable. Mahavak. At the outset or somewhere in the middle, suddenly you think, it's very difficult. I thought I'll do it with my own effort. Every day I'll sit like this and say, Om Kar, and I'll realize and then you realize that, you know... <laughs> There is the hunkar all around and then eventually you say, Okay, Lord. <laughs> so he says, then it is sure. He makes sure. He wants to take charge. What is the problem? He says, I want to take charge. But no, no. I'll take charge of my life. You come. Post-mortem you come. After I die, you are there. So he waits. A supreme presence within you will take up your yoga and carry it swiftly along the lines of your sabhava to its consummate completion. It's not like he'll take everybody the same way. There are million roads which will lead to him and on all of them, every, you know, he will walk with us. That's the story of the Ras. Each gopi is so much absorbed with Krishna that she thinks he is only mine and nobody else. She forgets. They forget all others. And of course, that is one reason why Sri Krishna vanished. <laughs> because that ecstatic ras, no, there is this entire creation. So he vanishes suddenly halfway through. So he says that it doesn't matter, you will he will take us along our Swabhav. Each one has a different approach to the divine, and the divine respects it. Each of us has our own unique past, and the divine takes that into consideration. Each of us have a unique present constitution, life, circumstances. He 
considers that and knows it. And most importantly, each of us have a unique future and he takes us along that line. So there is no one way of approach. The essence has been given and then he will take us in his own way. And afterwards, whatever your way of life and mode of action, you will be consciously living, acting and moving in him and the divine power will act through you in your every inner and outer motion. This is the supreme way because it is the highest secret and mystery. And yet, why it is a mystery? It sounds so simple. It's a mystery when we start doing it. It's a supreme secret when we start. So much the ego will cling. To just give it to the Lord means to then to accept what he'll do. The desire self will not leave like that. So every time the desire starts moving and say, Lord, this too, this too. Do with it what you want to do with it. That's how one reaches. Mother says that with a pincer you pick out a movement, throw it far, it will come back. Thousand times you have to do it. So, this is the supreme way because it is the highest secret and mystery. And yet an inner movement progressively realizable by all. Very few can do tapasya or take to sannyas. And even then they will realize only one aspect. But this is something most easily realizable by all. That's why Shubhindo's Yoga, the most difficult in terms of its goal, the easiest of all in terms of its path and way. This is the deepest and most intimate truth of your real, your spiritual existence. And what is it? That there is nothing else but the Lord. And we too are His portions. All the time with him. It's just that we have forgotten. We have to remove the veil of ignorance and recover the serene whole. Through knowledge, through works, through love and complete surrender. This is the supreme way because it is the highest secret and mystery. And yet an inner movement progressively realizable by all. This is the deepest and most intimate truth of your real your spiritual existence and the divine wants nothing else except giving of ourselves, of our character, our way of being to him. This is the deepest and most intimate truth of your real, your spiritual existence. Namaste.